This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and I will be your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week, we have episode 266, entitled Isaiah's Third Servant Song. We are continuing our series where we work through the passages of the Hebrew Bible that both Jews and Christians came to understand as messianic prophecies, that is, passages that shaped the expectation of the Messiah, his role, his responsibilities, and of course, his relationship with Israel's God. So in the midst of our study of the Old Testament's Messianic prophecies, we are in Isaiah, and specifically we are studying the Isianic servant songs. We read our third servant song, which is located in Isaiah chapter 50. That is our passage of study for this particular week. So here are some of the questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, how does this third servant song help further give meaning to the original identity of the servant? Second, what are the various roles given to this servant by the God of Israel? And how does this relationship define the two distinguished figures, namely the servant and Yahweh himself. And lastly, in what ways can we discern the impact upon the New Testament authors from this third Isianic servant song as the New Testament authors portray Jesus as the Jewish Messiah? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the third of four Isianic servant songs. So this passage is in Isaiah chapter 50, and it spans from verses 4 through 9. I think it's best to read this passage and to comment on the verses as we read through it. So let's begin with Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen as a disciple. That's verse 4. So we can see here that the servant reappears within the narrative of Isaiah. And we have the servant distinguished from the Lord God. And of course, the Lord God is the one that empowers and guides this servant figure. The servant is speaking. And the servant indicates that God has given to the servant a tongue of disciples in order that he may sustain the weary people with a word. This will indicate that the servant is going to speak people in a way that helps them and guides them and functions as their sustainer. Now, the relationship between God and the servant is one that is very intimate and closely associated. In fact, God awakens the servant each and every morning, indicating a very close 
relationship, a relationship to where the servant is obedient to God and the servant functions as someone who is constantly listening as a disciple, as one who learns. And of course, the function of listening is that it has the intent to obey. The servant is going to be one who is obedient to the Lord God, and that concept of obedience is going to appear later in the passage. Let's continue. Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. This again is further defining the servant, not just as someone who serves, but as someone who listens and obeys. He is subordinate to and subservient to the Lord God. He is subservient to Yahweh himself. And his sense of obedience is further defined in the fact that he is described as one who does not turn back. He might have the opportunity to do so, but he is willing to indicate, basically, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. So here we can see that this servant is someone that, in light of his obedience to God, to whom he did not turn his back, he did actually give his back to his persecutors, to those who wished to humiliate him and to make a spectacle of him. The servant here is someone who is attacked. He is struck. He is someone that had the hair of his beard pulled out, and he was spat upon, and he was humiliated. And this seems to be a result, an unfortunate result, if I might say so, of his obedience to God. There's something about the servant, and that the servant is going to fulfill the destiny that God has for him as an obedient servant that is going to make him a mockery, and an object of ridicule among others. And this seems to be a paradoxical aspect of the servant's role. He is an obedient person to God, and yet he is someone that seems to be rejected by others. Verse 7, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. That's Isaiah 50, verse 7. So despite the fact that this obedient servant is someone that is mocked and humiliated, he recognizes that the Lord God is with him, the Lord God is his helper, and so his humiliation does not actually bring disgrace to him. And he is able to set his mind straight in his desire to be obedient to this calling. His face is like flint. That is a stern face that is not going to deviate or waver from his mission. And he is confident in that he is not going to suffer shame despite the attacks and 
being spat upon, and the humiliation from others. And the help that the Lord God gives the servant is further defined in the next two verses, verses 8 through 9. Let's read those. Verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. So here, the servant continually demonstrates his confidence in his mission. Despite his rejection and humiliation, he's someone who believes that God not only is the helper, but also the one who vindicates him. And the term here for vindication is semantically related to the verb to justify. This indicates that the servant is going to be vindicated by God at the end of his ministry. And because so, he can confidently say, who is going to contend with me? Who is going to have a case against me? And this indicates that the function of God as vindicator has a legal sense involved, likely involving vindication as an aspect of judgment. So the God that helps the servant, the God who vindicates the servant, also is functioning as the judge. And let's move to the final verse, verse 9. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. That's Isaiah 50, verse 9. So this repeats the saying from verse 7, the Lord God is the one who helps me. And it also utters the confident statement, who is he who can actually condemn me? This, of course, is the condemnation in a legal sense. And those who are attempting to humiliate and attack this servant are those who are actually going to suffer their own condemnation. They will wear out like a garment, but the servant who is rejected by the people is going to be vindicated, he's going to be helped, and he's going to have the Lord God stand alongside him in a legal sense, as his legal advocate, one might say. So, in light of our first question, how does this passage help us to better understand the function of the servant in its original setting? We've noticed that the servant seems to be a figure that is representative of the ideal Israel in its obedience, although this Israel seems to be a subsection of all of Israel, because part of Israel, of course, is being disobedient. And so it's being portrayed here in light of a single figure, a single individual, but it seems that God is wanting to call this group of people that are going to be obedient and to listen to God. They're going to have their ears open to obeying what God has to say. They're going to function as a disciple, and in doing so, they're going to receive mockery and humiliation and rejection. And it makes sense that this rejection is going to come from those within Israel that are disobedient. However, there is this strong confidence in the mind of this obedient figure that God is with him 
God is vindicating him and God is the judge that is going to stand at his side. And the judge, of course, is going to bring to an end those who stand against him. So it's described here in the voice of a single person, but the servant, as we've seen, is defined as Israel, defined as Jacob, and it seems to be a subsection of the people of Israel that are going to be obedient to God in the midst of the rest of Israel that has decided to be disobedient to God's voice. So it's very easy to see how the historical Jesus could look at this as the destiny of the obedient people of God and as the Messiah, that is the king who, by his own definition, is the one who represents his people. He's able to embody this role of the Isianic servant onto himself and onto his own mission and to take this role as his own role as Israel's representative, as Israel's king. So the role of the servant overlaps Jesus' role as Israel's Messiah. The king also, paradoxically, is the one here who is rejected, he is humiliated, and he is struck. So let's move to our second point, moving to the New Testament, so we can explore the ways in which Isaiah chapter 50, that is the third Isianic servant song, has influenced the New Testament writers. Point number two is the use of the third servant song in Jesus' crucifixion. Now, if you're familiar with the accounts of the crucifixion, namely those in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you were reading through Isaiah chapter 50, particularly verse 6, it would be clear that the New Testament authors have been deeply impacted by this passage and they noticed that the things that happened to Jesus at the crucifixion aligned very closely with the things that were formally said in Isaiah chapter 50. And those connections become quite clear. So although I'm going to quote from Matthew, you can also find the similar verses in Mark and in Luke. So the earliest gospel writers are unanimous in making this connection of describing the crucifixion of Jesus in light of the things that were formally said in Isaiah chapter 50. So in Matthew 26, verse 67, it says, Then they spat on Jesus' face, and they beat him with their fist, and others slapped him. This, of course, is indicating that they beat him. And then in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 27, verse 30, it says they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Matthew 27, verse 30. So the fact that this servant is spat upon is indicated twice in the synoptic accounts, once in Matthew 26 and another in Matthew 27. And what's interesting is that Matthew wants this particular behavior in the sense that Jesus is the one that does not resist the evil person, but allows the person to continually humiliate him, also gets taught, in a sense, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 says, Do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So not only is Jesus embodying this one who 
in his obedience to God is someone that is inevitably going to face uh, humiliation and rejection and often persecution. Jesus encourages the imitation of this sort of behavior for his disciples, indicating again that the servant is one that represents the people and Jesus wants his people, that is his own disciples, to imitate his own behavior. So we can look at the other passages in Mark and Luke that basically say the same thing, but I don't think that that's going to add to our particular study. The point is that our earliest gospel writers are drawing on Isaiah 50 in their portrayal of Jesus' crucifixion. In doing so, they regard Jesus as the Isianic suffering servant. Let's move to our third point, the use of the third servant song in Jesus' obedience to God. Now, Isaiah chapter 50 made it quite clear that the servant is the one who hears and obeys the Lord God. He does what the Lord God says. He does not turn back, even when he might have the opportunity to do so. And we can see something similar in the New Testament. So in Matthew 26, verse 39, when Jesus is in Gethsemane, he prays, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. So Jesus is saying, Not my will, but your will be done. And this seems to echo the note in Isaiah 50, verse 5, to where the servant was not disobedient and he did not turn back. Now, the portrayal of Jesus as someone who is obedient to God in all things is a repeated feature in the New Testament. So our latest gospel, the Gospel of John, has Jesus saying things like, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 4, verse 34. So Jesus' sustenance is to obey the will of the one who who commissioned him and to accomplish his work. In John 8, verse 29, Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Namely, Jesus is always doing the things that are pleasing to God. And at the end of his public ministry, he says in John 12, verse 50, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me, indicating his obedience to saying what the Father has told him to say. Now, in Philippians 2, Paul portrays Jesus as the one who is obedient. In Philippians 2, 8, it says that he humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So again, the insistence here is that Jesus, who took the form of a servant, that is, the Isianic servant, in my understanding. Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. And death on a cross, of course, indicates a humiliated death, which again draws on Isaiah chapter 50 and the humiliation of the servant. Of course, God is the vindicator of the servant, and so Philippians 2.9 says that God has highly exalted him, indicating that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And in the book of Hebrews, also 
indicates the obedient nature of Jesus to the Lord God. Hebrews chapter 5, 8 says that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. That's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. So Jesus being someone who is obedient and subordinate and subservient to God is a regular, clear, and obvious New Testament teaching. And that seems to have a demonstrable impact from Isaiah chapter 50, the third Isianic servant song, where the servant is one who is obedient to the Lord God. Let's move to our fourth and final point, the use of the third servant song in Jesus' nonviolent actions. So when we look at the third servant song, it indicates that while Jesus was struck, while he had his beard plucked, and while he was spat upon, there's no indication here that he responded in violence, or that he responded in kind, or that he took his own revenge, or that he repaid evil for evil. There's no indication of that at all. In fact, what it seems is that he has entrusted himself to the God who vindicates, that is, to the God, the Lord God, who helps him. So this servant is a nonviolent servant who continues to be persistent and faithful in obedience despite the fact that he is wrongly treated. And 1 Peter chapter 2 seems to draw on this aspect of Jesus by looking at the life of Jesus in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, and it encourages the readers of 1 Peter to adopt this particular behavior. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. And this has all the hallmarks, all of the indicators of being influenced by Isaiah chapter 50. We have Jesus, the one who is the servant, and he embodies the role of the faithful people of God. In doing so, he is obedient to God, but during his humiliation and his rejection, he does not revile in return. He doesn't utter any threats. He does not commit any sin. There's no deceit found in his mouth. And he entrusts himself to the one who judges rightly. This, of course, indicates that God is the one who is the justifier. God is the one who is the vindicator, the one who is going to help Jesus. And God helped Jesus specifically by vindicating him from the dead and by raising him from the dead. So Isaiah 50 verse 8 is the one that calls God the servant's vindicator. That is the one who contends in a legal sense for the servant who continued in obedience despite all of the humiliation that he suffered. And the example of Jesus, 
the suffering servant, becomes a standard for Christian living. They are to imitate Jesus in this behavior, as in the followers of Jesus are meant to also become servants like the Isianic servant that Jesus embodied. Just as we saw when Jesus taught these precepts in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. So what is the relationship of the Isianic servant to the Lord God? Well, clearly they're distinguished. There is no sense that the Isianic servant is the Lord God. They are distinguished. The Lord God is the one who helps the servant, indicating that the Lord God is one person. The Lord God is also the one who vindicates, which again is another singular verb indicating that God is one person. The servant is one who is humiliated. The servant is one who is obedient and subservient to. So there's no co-equality. Clearly God is greater than this servant. But the two are closely associated in the sense that one obeys the other, one opens the ears of the other, and one is going to vindicate the other when the second one is humiliated. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look at the fourth and final servant song in Isaiah that is the song about the suffering servant in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound and non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us an honest review on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a financial donation, you can check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I'm Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.